you'll take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 24, we're going to talk about living in the last days. As all of us have gone through school, beginning in elementary school and, and middle school and high school and graduating and uh, some will move on to college and so forth, that's great. I, we, had to, we were exposed to many forms of classical literature while we were getting our education. I remember some of those great books of amazing literature and thought. One of my favorite books goes back to grade school. It was the story of Chicken Little. Y'all remember that story? Chicken Little. Uh, and, uh, and he was running around the barnyard. An acorn fell on his head. And he ran around screaming loudly and often, The sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And he said it loud enough and long enough that eventually everybody else started saying, the sky is falling and the sky is falling. Of course, if you read the book or someone read it to you, you know the fact that the sky was not falling. It was merely an acorn. I want to say to you today, sky is falling. And it in an acorn. The sky is falling. God's word reveals that this earth must come to an end to move into a new heaven and a new earth. We are told that the days will become hard, the love of people will grow cold, evil will grow, and we're seeing all that happen before our very eyes. The question often is asked, do you think we're living in the last days? Well, absolutely, I do. All the things are lining up prophetically. Should we be in an uproar? No. Man, we're a people of hope. We believe, that the, we believe that the end of the story is the greatest story ever told because it talks about eternity with God. And I don't have to worry about my life hereafter. It is secure. I don't have to worry about my life here for I am held by His hand and He has a plan. But how do we live in the last days, do we really believe what the Bible says about the last days? Or are we just going through life impervious to what's going on around us? I don't think we should be living that way. If you read the news, you see that there's volcanoes and earthquakes and tsunamis. There's wars right now. What's taking place with Israel and the Gaza Strip is going to be something to watch very closely. Um, There's much taking place right now. The unrest in North Korea. Our global economy, or maybe I should say our global brokenness. I don't know if we've got any money. Moving rapidly toward a one-world philosophy of government, which will be the precursor to a one-world government. And in so understanding that, how do we live? What character should our lives reflect as followers of Christ? Well, let's look at verse 32, Matthew 24. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. Now he said, look at a fig tree. Watch as you move from the seasons, you're going to watch the fig tree change. It's going to be, as, as soon as its branches become tender and, the, and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. 
He said, you know, the changing of seasons is coming when you see the blossoming of the fig tree. And you know that there's about to be figs. There's about to be a harvest. Look what he says. In the same way, when you see all these things, he's mentioned in chapter 24, the wars, rumors of wars, the disasters, the natural disasters, uh, the false prophets, the Antichrist coming and claiming to be Jesus and so forth. He said, in all these things you see around you, recognize that he is near at the door. I assure you, this generation will certainly not pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus is coming back. It could be in our lifetime. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced it could be very well in our lifetime. How do we live? And so I just want to share these things with you. I think, first of all, we need to live with a sense of urgency. A sense of urgency. Because there is a work to be done and a message to share. We are here for the purpose of the kingdom. God has allowed us to live and breathe and have our being centered around him, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we are to be doing something for the kingdom. And we're not here just to fill time or fill a slot. We're here to make a difference, to be a part of of uh, him transforming us and allowing him to use us to be a channel to bring blessing to others and, and bring the word of transformation to them. We have a purpose for being here. We're not here accidentally. God has a reason for letting every one of us sit in this auditorium today to go to your job tomorrow or wherever you may go tomorrow, even going on vacation. He has a purpose. Something that we need to be living out every day, living in a sense of urgency. Now, Urgency doesn't mean that you're in a sense of panic and you're in a sense of, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And you run around like a chicken with your head cut off. That's not urgency. That's foolishness. Urgency is not panic but purposeful action. If you go see Alan at the urgent care, you're going to go through a process because the goal is to make sure the right thing is done. So you're going to check in, and, and, and they're going to get information, and then they're gonna, you're going to go sit, sit down and talk with a doctor, and he's going to ask you questions, and they're going to determine they may do tests. Now, all of that is urgent because you have a need. There's something wrong. You're sick. You got the flu, the virus, or something else, and you want something done. But you do want it done right, don't you? I mean, if they do it quick and don't do it right, that ain't helping you. So they have a process they go through. They are acting urgently on your behalf, but not foolishly. You understand the difference? And when you get through with talking with the doctor and, and, you, and you, they do the test that you do, they're going to say, here's what we need to do for you. Okay? Now, they're not doing that without purpose. They are acting urgently on your behalf. I'm saying that because I think we misunderstand urgency for stupidity. We think we just got to run, do something, no matter if it's wrong. That is not how God does business. We are to be a people who have a sense of urgency. We're supposed to be doing things now with purposeful action because life is important. Minutes are important sometimes. Now, I assure you, if you passed out at the office, they would proceed again with a process of dealing with you to save your life. 
but they're not going to be foolish. Urgent means you have purposeful action. If this is happening, here's what I'm going to do. Now, if Christ is coming back, how then should I live? With a sense of urgency. Because there's something to be done, there's a message to be sharing. I need to be doing about what needs to be done. I I see two illustrations from lives in the Bible. One is Noah. Noah operated with a sense of urgency. He was told that there was a great flood coming. God was going to bring judgment on the world for those who do not repent. And he wanted him to build an ark for the saving of his family and species two by two. And all of a sudden, he acted with urgency. Now, he didn't build it in a day. It took a long time to build the ark. He had to have design. He had to have measurement. He had to put things together. But he began to operate with urgency, meaning he had a purposeful action in his life. He was going to build an ark. In the process, he was preaching. Judgment's coming. A rain's coming. People laughed at him, made fun of him, didn't agree with him, didn't like him because of it sometimes. Made fun of him. Didn't matter. He, he still had a sense of urgency. And by his faith, he stood as a standard of righteousness and also was a source of condemning the world for their lack of belief and their unbelief. So he had a sense of urgency because the rain was on its way. And he said, I've got to get this thing done. So he never took his eye off the plan that God had given. He was focused on what God had designed for his life. A sense of urgency for us as believers is to live with a focus on how God has designed us and what he wants to do with our life. What does he want to do? So, so, so he says, live with a sense of urgency. Another illustration is Jonah, the reluctant prophet, who, man, he did not want to do what God wanted him to do. God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. And preach, tell them judgment's coming. He did not want them to repent because they were a horrible people. They were a cruel people. They were evil people. He thought they needed judgment, deserved judgment. And so he said, I'm not going to preach to them. And he thought in his foolish mind he could run from God. And so he took off the wrong way. God, of course, knew where to find him every second of the day. And the process of storms came and and the, the boat was sinking, and they were trying to figure out which God to, to make happy. And Jonah finally said, I'm the problem. It's my God that's doing this. The only, one true living God. And I, the best thing you can do is throw me overboard. And they did. And God, in his sovereignty, provi- provided a, a customized transportation to get him to the shores of Nineveh. Fish with the GPS system. He right the right spot to go and, and, and just throw him up there. And there he was. I don't know how he smelled, what it looked like, but here's what I know. He said seven words, basically. Seven words. His sermon was probably one of the shortest ever recorded. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. He went down the streets of Nineveh. It took 40 days to go from one side of Nineveh to the other. He just kept saying, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people repented. They repented. He had a sense of urgency, even though he wasn't quite excited about it. Sometimes we're that way, aren't we? God's trying to do something with us. We almost fight him all the way. But we need to know that God wants to use us and and help us grow, even through sometimes our indifference. Because there is an urgent need for us to be about the kingdom business. Urgency seems to be a key word these past few weeks. 
If you go down off the coast of Louisiana or Mississippi, you're hearing the leadership say, we need a sense of urgency from the White House, from the staff, from the environment. We need, we need a sense of urgency. We are in trouble. Come down here with a plan and a process. Do something. We are in trouble. They wanted to see something that shows a sense of urgency. That's how we're supposed to live. Judgment is coming, folks. We need to reflect that in how we live and what we do, not because we're afraid for ourselves, but because we're concerned about those around us who are not ready for the judgment to come. You know, I've noticed something that's very been tragic. Broke my heart. I was talking about this yesterday with the guy. Um, with all this taking place, you know, we've got this massive oil spill, and we've got one of the largest oil companies in the world that can't seem to stop it with all their technology. We have all the process of doing things. We have all the technology, yet nothing can be done. And I've heard people talk about, we've got to do this, we've got to do that, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. We are told this may be the worst disaster in the century. Out far greater than last century, the oil spill, the Exxon. And, and so... Can I tell you what breaks my heart? I'm hearing men who are a part of a nation that says in God we trust for their money and we're under God as a nation, and yet no one has said, we might want to pray about this and ask God to help us. Because evidently it's bigger than our intellect. Okay? And evidently it's larger than our technology because we ain't fixed it yet. And yet, God's not even on our radar. Man, Europe is now getting worried about the oil coming to their shores. And if God's still not on our radar. Somewhere, somebody says, and leadership of our country, and, and those, I'm talking about governors and state, I'm talking about guys. Man, governors ought to be calling churches saying, let's get together and pray that God would intervene and give somebody the answer, solution, that something would save us from the disaster. But tragically, no one's giving God a thought. The creator of the universe has not been summoned or, or seeked for action. We don't seem to be phased by much anymore, do we? Yet he says, we need to live with a sense of urgency. Well, let me tell you, how do you do that? If you really want to live out a, a sense of urgency, number one, determine priorities for your life based on Scripture. In other words, the priorities for your life could be to grow in grace and faith. Man, as a believer, I want to grow in grace. I want to grow in faith. That means you've got to read God's Word. You've got to be in the Word to grow in faith because faith comes by hearing from this book. So yeah, I, my priorities may need to be, I need to be more in God's Word. I need to be more committed to prayer. And, and maybe... Uh, uh, I want to grow in sharing the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fine. Uh, strengthening our families. Guys, let me tell you something. Because I do believe the days are evil, I think it is extremely important, urgent, that parents and grandparents equip their children for the days to come. Man, it's hard days coming. And, and we, we want to equip them for everything in life. That's great. Praise God. You go at it. We'll equip them physically, athletically, uh, mentally, intellectually, but we rarely equip them spiritually. 
And if they're not grounded spiritually, the days coming are going to be very, very hard. Truth's going to be hard to recognize. We need to be equipping them now. Man, strengthen your family. And decide on a plan based on God's purpose for your life. That's how you live out urgently. What are the priorities? Determine those and then decide on a plan and commit to it. Dedicate to it. So here's our process of living in our lives urgently. Not haphazardly, not accidentally, not foolishly, but with a sense of direction. Okay? Now, the second thing is this. Act with personal certainty. By that, respond to God's holiness, love, and grace. Man, make a decision. I got to read this quote. Uh, It was penned nearly 500 years ago by Martin Luther, one of the the great leaders of the Reformation. Uh, I hope, here's what he said, I hope that the day is near at hand when the advent of the great God will appear, the second coming. For all things are everywhere boiling, burning, moving, falling, sinking, groaning. He said, everything's a mess. We're in trouble. I hope the coming is soon. Guys, we need to live because today, this world's in a mess. And we need to be living like he's coming soon. And have personal certainty in our lives of what we're going to do. Again, I'll take you two illustrations. A guy named Nicodemus. He had a question about heaven. And about life. And he, he didn't want to be seen in the daytime talking to, to Jesus. So he came by night, slipping around, somewhat embarrassed, somewhat un- insecure. And yet Jesus didn't scold him for that. He said, okay, I know why you're here. Let me answer your question. You must be born again. Nicodemus, you're a wonderful church person. You know a lot. You teach. But you must have a relationship based on the Spirit of God. You must have a spiritual birth. And so Nicodemus had to wrestle with the fact of dealing with his own personal decision in trusting Christ and having a relationship or merely existing on religion like way too many people do today. We know all the cliches and the catchphrases and the the words of the songs and We do our thing, yet our life is unchanged because there's no relationship. Nicodemus had all the religious paraphernalia and rhetoric, but he was empty and insecure of his eternity. And he said, how can I know? Well, you've got to be born again. He was was called to act with personal certainty about his faith in Christ and his decision to make Heaven, his home. He was a religious man with questions. But there's another illustration, a man named Zacchaeus. He was a political man with a curiosity. (laughs) He'd heard about Jesus. Now, his lifestyle was different from Nicodemus. Nicodemus kept all the rules. Zacchaeus broke all the rules. He made up his own rules because he would take from you taxes you didn't owe just because he moved the standards around. He cheated. He stole from people. He was not governed by rules. And so he hears about this man who speaks of the kingdom of God. And he's curious. 
He wanted to see him. Well, nobody liked Zacchaeus. When he came to the crowd, there wasn't nobody going to let him be, be on the front row. So he climbed up a sycamore tree to take a look at Jesus. And, and Jesus walking by saw him and recognized his curiosity. And he said, I tell you what, I need to go to your house today. Of all the people, he went to a tax collector's house to talk about the kingdom. He was calling Zacchaeus to make an act with personal certainty. He needed his life transformed. He needed to come to the kingdom by way of repentance for his sin and receive a newness that can only come from Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit. God calls all of us to act with personal certainty about our faith in him. Man, the days are not promised to us tomorrow, next week, or next month. But today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart. He calls you to act on personal certainty, to have that defining moment when you've received Christ into your life. Last Sunday, we had a young lady pray to receive Christ, and she did it, didn't come forward. And uh, we, we talked her at the door, and, and uh, uh, we were communicating this week, and Charlene texted her and said, we're so excited. And she, she texted back something very powerful. This young lady, not a huge church background, said, I'm so excited about my decision to trust Christ. I feel him empowering my life. Oh, that's what salvation is. It's not walking an aisle and joining a church. It's coming to the point of where the Spirit of God empowers your life. Ah, and that requires an act of personal certainty to come, realizing you're a sinner needing a Savior and desiring Him to be Lord of your life, that He may transform you to His glory. Ah, well, the last thing. Living in the last days, certainly with with a sense of urgency and an act with personal certainty, but also stand on the message of exclusivity. Jesus is the only way of spiritual rescue. The world is doing its best to exclude Jesus from its future. God's not on the radar screen. We talk about the disaster of oil. Jesus is a word we don't want heard. I, <laughs> okay, I'm trying to be gracious here. I, I, of course, I watch Fox News. That's, you know, that's kind of my channel. And um, I, give, I watch CNN for about two or three minutes, and that's all I can take, and I go back to Fox News. But anyway, I, I was watching them play a clip from uh, Nancy Pelosi, and I, I just, she was trying to explain her, her Christian conviction without using the name of Jesus, which I thought was interesting. I, I just sit there like, wow. She tried to quote John 1.1. Which I appreciate. I, mean, I appreciate that. I, mean, I appreciate that. I, I do. The fact that, you know, she's trying to somehow say something of what she believes. But she kept saying the word, the word, the word, the word. You know, she said, she's trying to say it without saying this. You know, I'm talking about the word that became flesh. And, you know, I'm thinking, you can't bring your, your politically correctness will not allow you to say Jesus, will it? Bottom line. But, and she stumbled over this for like forever trying to say 
what she believed without saying what she believed. I'm thinking, goodness gracious, we don't even want to mention his name. The world doesn't want to talk about Jesus. We live in a world of pluralism. You can get to God any way you want to. I, again, I watch Fox News. I watch basically three channels. I watch Fox News. I watch the Golf Channel. And I watch USA Today, uh, Network. Okay? That's kind of my channels. Uh, I watch a lot of rerun stuff, I guess, because, you, know, you know. But anyway, I, and I like some of the, but, but I, they did this thing, and they still do it, where they have characters welcome, and they show characters, and they're trying to promote tolerance. I know what they're doing. And they have different actors from different shows stand up and talk about who they are and what they embrace. And, and basically, we're, and they want everybody to become characters like them. I thought it was very interesting because they had one of these segments where they had about four or five actors uh, right in a row say, I, I am, I am uh, this and I'm that. They had one young man who is uh, a, a, an actor on uh, one of the shows. And, and uh, he says, I'm a Christian. And I thought, well, that's pretty neat because, you know, one had said, I'm, I'm benevolent and, you know, and so forth and so on. But... Uh, he said, I'm a Christian. I was not like that. The person they had right behind him was a young lady that, that stars on, on Royal Pains, I think, something. And, and uh, she's and, and, and a very beautiful young lady. She says, I am a Hindu, and I believe that all paths lead to God. Now, they gave her more time. He didn't get to say that Jesus is the only way. I'm sure they wouldn't have let him say that, first of all. But they let her say, all paths lead to God. Let me tell you why this is a problem. 51% of those who claim to be Christian believe there's more than one way to heaven. Isn't that amazing? Now, see, I'm not sure you can be Christian and believe that, incidentally. I, I think that kind of defies the term. Because Christianity is being a follower of Christ who... In his word, says he's the only way. John, you say, don't take my word for it. Go to John 14. John 14 says this. He's talking to Thomas and disciples. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The word is very emphatic in the language. It's very, he's, he's not saying, I am a way. I'm one of many ways. He's saying, I am the only way. I'm the absolute truth. I'm the only absolute life. I am the only way. He is saying that I, it is an exclusive way to heaven. It's through me. Look what he says. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. So I am the doorway. I am the only way. There's not many doorways. There's not many hallways. I, I hear all this stuff all the time. There is one way, and it's Jesus Christ. And somewhere we have become so bashful about saying that. People say, do you really believe that? We go, well, uh, yes, we believe that. It's not hard. Just say, yes, that's what we believe. But I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. To, hide, to, hold, to withhold truth from them will do more damage than hurting their feelings. They need to hear the truth. Love them enough to tell them the truth. Acts 4.12 
Peter says, this Jesus, verse 11, let me go, this Jesus is the stone despised by you builders who has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given but to people by which we must be saved. That is clear. Guys, a child understands that. You've got to take an adult and mess with their mind a long time to to change their understanding of that passage. I mean, you've got to really mess with them because a child understands that. That says he's, he's the only way to be saved. Jesus is the only way of our spiritual rescue. Our salvation is in him and in none other. And yet we're almost embarrassed by being exclusive Jesus said, I'm the way. It's a narrow way. But I'm it. And if you're going to go to heaven when you die, I'm it. If you want to have empowerment living this life here on earth, I'm it. If you want to have a new beginning, I'm it. If you want to be a new creation, I'm it. He said, I'm the cornerstone. Can I tell you, Jesus is the cornerstone of life. He is the plumb line of my life with God. He is what squares me up with God as a cornerstone. He is the level of my life to be right with God. He is the very essence of all that I can be in relation to God. Apart from him, I have nothing with God. I don't care how good a Baptist I am, Presbyterian, Catholic, Methodist, whatever you want to name. Apart from Jesus Christ, we're absolutely worthless and nothing. You say, well, we can't tell people that. Why? Had you rather them go through life not knowing truth and dying without Christ and wake up in a place called hell? I don't want that to happen to my worst enemy. No. No. It looks like we're living in the last days. World events are threatening on every side. Uncertainty and anxiety is rising. Disasters occurring continually. These are the birth pains of what Romans calls this planet Earth crying for deliverance from the sin-sick, sin-cursed world. Are you ready for his coming? Are you prepared for his kingdom? Great Bible teacher F.B. Meyer asked D.L. Moody, what is the secret of your success? D.L. Moody was a great evangelist, had a passion to see people saved, and people were saved. He got people to come to Christ, and I said that God used him in an amazing way in revivals and in his own church. What's the secret of your success? Moody replied with these words, For many years I've never given a sermon without the consciousness that the Lord may come back before I finish. I preach with urgency. Guys, every moment we have in this life is a gift of grace from God. He could come back before we finish the invitation. He could come back for tomorrow. Are you ready? Have you acted with personal certainty? Are you confident that you'd be with Jesus Christ when this world is gone and you'll be with him forevermore? If not, why not today? Why not now?